And Frida, we are live. Welcome to this live stream panel on the state of the Sudanese and Algerian uprisings. I am Frida Afari from the Alliance of Middle Eastern Socialists. And I'm Brian Bean from the Chicago Socialists. We will be moderating today's panel. This event is sponsored by Al Mansur, online publication of the revolutionary socialist organization, the Socialist Forum, the Alliance of Middle Eastern Socialists, the Socialism Conference, Middle East and North Africa Solidarity Network, Socialist Alternative Red Flag, Revolutionary Socialism in the 21st Century, RS21, New Politics Magazine, and the Democratic Socialists of America's International Committee. First, we will introduce the panelists, then we will have a one hour long question and answer period directed by the moderators. The last half hour of the program will take up questions from audience members who will have a chance to submit their questions via Facebook. Our panelists today are the following. Sarah Abbas is a doctoral candidate in political science and a feminist who researches social movements in Sudan. She has written for Transition Magazine, Open Democracy, and The Nation. The views expressed are her own and do not represent those of institutions she's affiliated with. Adam Bahar is a Sudanese human rights activist based in Berlin. He is also a member of Justice Equality Movement Sudan. Selma Omari is an Algerian French member of the new anti-capitalist in France. He is involved in anti-racist struggles as well as international solidarity. Hamza Hamushenj is a London-based Algerian scholar activist, commentator, researcher, and a founding member of Algeria Solidarity Campaign and Environmental Justice North Africa. Thanks, Frida. And Selma, uh, you just joined us. If you could mute when you're not talking, that would be fantastic. But thanks for joining us. Um, so uh, as Frida mentioned, the format of the program is we have about 10 questions that the moderators are going to pose to the panelists. Um, one person from each region will uh, be responding to it, but the other uh, person can also weigh in and add some if they wish. Uh, just to try to make sure we have time to get in all the questions and questions from the internet. Um, I will let uh, respondents know when they've talked for about four minutes. That's not like a cutoff. It's just so you can sort of gauge yourself and know how much time you're spending. So after an hour of questions, uh, we'll hope to have about 30 minutes uh, for questions from the audience. And so if you're listening uh, via Facebook or YouTube, uh, in the comments, put your question. We have some people there who are gathering them and compiling them, and we'll try to get to them in the last uh, 30 minutes of uh, our event. And so now uh, we'll get started. And Frida, uh, you're going to ask the first question. Thank you. Can you give us some historical and current background on how each uprising started? How are these uprisings in continuity and discontinuity with what became known as the Arab Spring in 2011?
Sarah. Oh, sorry, yeah, I wasn't sure if I'm the, the one who's starting. Um, thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much, um, Frida and Brian, and thank you to all the organizations that are co-sponsoring and everyone who's involved in making this happen. Um, in terms of Sudan, um, the uprising started on December 13th, 2018, so about uh, six months ago now. Uh, it's, they, the uprising started through protests that began in the town of Adamazin in Blue Nile State. It's one of the war-affected regions of the country. It then moved on to Adbara, which is uh, also a town in Sudan um, further away that is a sort of historical center of the labor movement in Sudan. And from there, uh, the protests spread to many other cities as well uh, as Khartoum, which is the capital um, of Sudan. Um, uh, the protests uh, essentially continued and were brutally um, repressed by the regime. This is not the first time, of course. The regime has been in power, had been in power since 1989, so for uh, close to three decades. Um, on April 6, uh, an organization that had kind of risen to leadership within the protest, the Sudanese Professionals Association, which is uh, an alliance of uh, unions, of uh, civil society organizations, and so forth, um, that was actually banned by the regime, um, organized a, a million march. Um, people marched in different cities, including in Khartoum, and managed to break through to the area in front of the military general command. Now, this is really important because the regime in Sudan was an Islamist military regime. So the military has been in power since 1989. It has, of course, also been mostly in power at different periods since Sudan's independence in 1956. Um, on April, uh, having made uh, their way to the um, area in front of the military general command, people have been actually holding a sitting there and in other cities in different parts of the country since that time, which led to the fall of Omar Hassan al-Bashir, the president of Sudan on April 11th. Um, he was replaced by another military uh, leader who had to step down the day after because he was rejected as well as being a member of the regime. And since then the sittings um, and the civil disobedience, which is, uh, has been peaceful, that has been one of the most important um, principles of the uprising, have continued um, with negotiations stopping and starting with the de main demand being um, the handover of power to a civilian um, administration that would have a transitional period in Sudan and deal with uh, several issues which we can talk about later. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. And Hamza? First of all, thank you for um, hosting this event. I'm happy to be um, participating in that. Just to start with them, with the current background, the mass protest movement that has has begun just a few days um, after Abdelaziz Bouteflika's announcement of his intention to run for a fifth term as president. What started as a rejection of the candidacy of a physically unfit octogenarian president has transformed in face of um, the obstinacy and deceptive ploys of the ruling elites into a united rejection of the ruling system with demands of radical democratic change, freedom, and social justice. In a way, this revolt um, is an expression of the convergence of the popular discontent from below with the deep internal crisis within the ruling classes. When it comes to the historical background, there is a lot of things to say, but I'll try to be brief. 
First of all, it is important to note that this eruption of popular anger is the result of the accumulation of struggles and acts of resistance that go back to the early 80s. The most recent examples being the anti-shale uprisings in 2015, the labor mobilizations, especially in the teaching sector in 2011-2012, and the unemployed movement since 2012 in the Algerian Sahara. The second point is that the country has been experiencing a political crisis for decades, in particular since the 1992 military coup and the ensuing brutal war against civilians. More than 2,000 people died and tens of thousands of people disappeared in that war. The Algerian generals then were isolated internationally. Them who brought Bouteflika in 1999 to rehabilitate them somehow. Third, the causes of the revolt are fundamentally economic and are the result of more than three decades of neoliberal restructuring and parasitic accumulation through oil and gas rent by a military oligarch nexus. The Bouteflika era has been the most ultra-liberal era in Algeria's history. We've seen the setting up of companies, deindustrialization, huge concessions made to multinationals, and setting up a sort of an import-import bazaar economy. When you have the oil prices high, this allows um, for buying social peace. When they fall down, as was the case since 2016, this le leads to crippling austerity measures, popularizations, and growing unemployment. Um, when it comes to your questions about the Arab Spring, the Algerian slogan, Shab, you read it which means the people want them all to go, is just another version of Shab, you read which means the people want to overthrow the system. The slogan we've seen during the Arab uprisings of 2011. In this respect, what is happening, I think, in Algeria and Sudan, Sudan today is the continuation of this protracted revolutionary process. The hope is that the revolutionary forces in both these countries learn from the experiences of their brothers and sisters in other countries and push their revolutions even further. Stop here. Great. Thanks. Um, so the second question is uh, asking if you could just tell us what do the uprisings look like on the ground? Could you sort of paint a picture of the current protest movements? Uh, what's the arrangement of forces and how does it look? What is, what is the experience like? Um, and then I think specifically in the situation of Sudan, uh, to say more about what happened during the two-day general strike that took place in Sudan. I know many of us on the left were looking at that um, uh, very curiously and hopeful. So. What does it look like on the ground? And I think we're going to take Adam first. Yeah, thank you um, for having me. Yeah, um, I will uh, try also a little bit to go back. I think because it's also how it is now the protests look like also have to do with uh, what Sarah said already that in six of uh, April uh, two thousand nineteen um, they calling for one million march and this one million march uh, somehow reach. Uh, in Khartoum, especially I'm talking about Khartoum now, he reaching um, the uh, uh, front of the army buildings, and there people have this sit-in uh, since the 6th of April. Uh, in the same times, uh, also in other different cities in Sudan, also there is uh, people who also reach the um, 
military building in different city and also they have their own seat in front of the these different cities um that showing that um this protest was before is like long uh, time of doing different kind of actions but now since the 6th of april they have this main uh, symbol of sitting in front of the army's uh, buildings uh, in this area um, you can see in the last uh, time there is a kind of um, powerful um, artistical and, 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 and it's like a kind of daily workshop uh, talking about politics and different things in this place uh, taking uh, also placed not only in the, in the Khartoum, it's also in, in other different cities. Uh, it is coming for some people, it's like the part of life, there's families and children, and so they're coming uh, sometimes in the evening also to have some uh, music and be with the people, and sometimes also like uh, Friday uh, time where people pray in Friday in Sudan, for example. This was a big event all the time taking place as the biggest place where the people um, have their uh, Friday um, praying there. Uh, then it is kind of um, special um, revolution society have been have been taking place in this area uh, since 6th of april um, regarding to the, to the to the next question uh, uh, of uh, what is what is what the forces in the ground um, have i think it is also important to say in sudan uh, in uh, the first, um, this kind of uh, labor's union, Sudan uh, SPA, uh, Sudanese Professional Association, uh, I was engaging of, of organizing and arranging uh, the call for the demo in the Facebook. And so uh, they had in the first of uh, January, 2019, they have one paper, they uh, bring it out and they call the people to sign it. It's called um, the paper of the change and freedom. And they it's written how they need to uh, change in the political situation in Sudan, what they need uh, to have in, in this period of time uh, before the election is coming and so on. There is a difference, um, civil uh, societies, organization, and also opposition parties and different uh, organizations who sign uh, this uh, paper and they agree to work together to have this revolution. Then the forces uh, all in the ground now, they have this ground, they accept all this paper of change and freedom, and they work together to achieve this. Uh, what is written in this, it is more uh, important just to say that the first thing is to change this government, uh, and the second thing is to have this uh, four years uh, transition government before the elections. Uh, and now in the last time, uh, there was this negotiation between uh, um, delegation of uh, the opposition party and the people who signed this paper, and and the ruling uh, army now, and they reach some point, but it's still some point open, but it's still uh, this paper of freedom and change, it is the main paper of all the people agree uh, to have it unsigned. Um, I, I will just also um, continue about uh, these two days of general strike. I think it was uh, also one um, message that uh, people try to show after this negotiation, when I talk about it before I mentioned it, it was stuck in one point, and uh, they try to go back again and do something and show that uh, the revolution is still uh, strong and people have uh, have their own um, uh, opinion and they will can do more. And that's why they come these two days uh, of general strike. It was uh, really successful. Um, a lot of people say it is uh, more than 90% uh, was um, participating 
from the different um, part uh, of the whole society. Especially we had like um, big institution was also part of it. And it's like um, the main bank in Sudan, the people was there, uh, they, they get in the strike. And so even in the airport, um, people are also taking the strike. There is a more airplanes, like two, three airplanes coming from different uh, other countries, from Saudi Arabia, from Egypt. And so they stopped and they cannot reach Sudan in these days. Uh, it was a really powerful um, um, a strike in the days. And it's also kind of training and preparation for long general strike uh, without ending if the thing is not uh, going in the way of giving the people uh, the whole uh, freedom they demand. Um, small things again, uh, I would like to, to, to say about it because also I think uh, uh, people talk about Arabic, Arab Spring and, and try to, to connect it uh, so much uh, also about what's going on now in Sudan. I think uh, we had a small, uh, things to say about that because we think uh, we had also more experience in Sudan about uh, revolution because Sudan have done already two revolutions before who never uh, it never be uh, somehow uh, said in, in different way because in 1946 and in uh, 1958 uh, Sudan was happening two revolution and I think uh, if we look to the way of revolution in Sudan now going on we can say Sudan has learned from his own experience. Uh, it does not mean that um, we don't learn about the Arab Spring in 2011, but we think it is, uh, especially for my point of view, is not uh, continuing and parting of Arab Spring. For us, it's more about uh, also learning from our experience and going forward about it. And for me, that can be point of discussion. We can talk about it later, but that's just what I need to mention. Thank you. Great, thank you. Um, Hamza, I believe you, you're next. Yes. Um, so the mobilizations at first were um, small and localized, but they became massive afterwards, especially starting from 22nd of February. And starting from that date and every Friday, including in Ramadan and under the heat, millions of young and old men and women from different social classes have taken to the streets. Um, in an inspiring uprising, reappropriating the long confiscated public spaces. Um, those historic Friday marches uh, have been followed by other protests, by workers in education, health, ju justice systems, by other trade union mobilizations, and by students making this contestation um, a daily matter. What makes this movement um, really unique, in my view, is its massive scale, uh, its peaceful character, and the national spread, including in the marginalized South. What, one can also see this, this uprising as um, a continuation of the anti-colonial struggle of the 50s and 60s to regain popular and economic sovereignty. Um, because many references have been made in the protests and marches to, anti to the anti-colonial revolution reaffirming that you know, formal independence has no meaning without popular sovereignty. And these anti-colonial sentiments have been reinforced by um, staunch hostility um, to foreign interference and imperialist intervention. Um, we um, have also seen um, the unshakable solidarity with Palestinians and the, in the permanent presence of the Palestinian flag alongside the Algerian one. 
Um, uh, I think Algerians understand that their liberation won't be complete with the liberation of Palestine. And this is, I think, a unique feature in the Arab world that can be explained by the fact that Algeria and Palestine are being the only countries in the region that experience racist and genocidal settler colonialism. Other characteristics of the movement is that it is youth-led and relatively loose. Um, there are no clearly identifiable leaders or organized structures that are propelling it. Um, it is pluralistic, um, popular uprising, um, uh, mobilizing forces from the middle classes and from the marginalized classes in urban and rural areas. And unlike Sudan, where the Sudanese professional association is playing a leading and organizing role, in Algeria it looks like things are getting organized horizontally and mainly through social media. And um, I'd like also to say something about the radical evolution of slogans and demands in the last three months. It started at first with a narrow rejection of the fifth term of Bouteflika. And then it went to they must all go to the reasons we want a civilian, not a military state. Algeria is a republic, not a military barrack signaling a possible confrontation with the military high command very soon. And finally, um, democratic rights as well as individual and collective rights uh, of freedoms have not been achieved as yet as the repression of protests is still ongoing and there are still many political prisoners. We have been reminded by this dismal reality with this week's death of uh, Kamal al-Din Khar, a human rights activist, following 50-day 50 50 day hunger strike. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Women have had a prominent role in both uprisings. How are women participants and feminist organizations challenging patriarchy? Um, so I guess um, I will answer this question um, first. Um, um, I just wanted to go back very, very briefly to something that Adam said in relation to the Arab Spring, and I think it also relates to this issue of um, women's role in, in the protests in Sudan, sort of historically, as well as today. Um, I also share that view with Adam that there are definitely ways in which you can see the lessons that have been learned in the Arab Spring reflected in the current uprising in Sudan. And of course, the primary lesson being that you should not leave the streets too soon. So that you that the only guarantee that you have in a popular uprising of this nature is to remain on the street and to remain mobilized and to defend um, the revolution until its goals and its missions have been met. So, um, at, you know, returning to your question, I think, um, women have been central, actually, to this uprising in Sudan. Um, it's uh, it's something that actually is very, for someone like myself that has been sort of looking at the history of social movements in Sudan, I can see a continuity with the past in the sense that, as Adam mentioned, we've had two uprisings in the past that have um, resulted in the in the the fall of military regimes both were peaceful uh, civil society and popular uprisings in 1964 and 1985 
in both of which women played a prominent part. But the extent and the level of leadership and the sheer numbers of women's involvement in the protests in this uprising are unprecedented. And I would argue that it represents a social revolution, not just a political revolution. It's changing the way that women's involvement in politics is actually perceived in the society. And you can see it reflected in uh, the main demands actually from the street of the revolution, which is um, essentially one of the main demands in the Declaration for Freedom and Change, which is the basis of, uh, of this uh, you know, anticipated transition, is an end to all discrimination and all forms of discrimination against women and the promotion of women's rights. So we see that as being a core demand of the revolution, and that is, not in a, that is largely due to the role of women. I would also argue that um, women's leadership is not coming out of a vacuum. It's coming out of this historical um, involvement of women in civil society and in movements and social movements in Sudan, but also this regime has particularly targeted women. So this regime, as part of it, what it's called the civilizational project, it's, its conception of a state building project, has very much uh, targeted women as um, essentially a, a, a sector that needs to be controlled and it was and to control them in diff by different means one of them is the legal means for example we have public order laws that seek to control that sought to control how women dress and how they um how wh in which parts of the public sphere they are, are allowed to be but also the wars that this uh this uh, that the bashir regime had um, carried out in different parts of the country uh, one of its main victims has been women so women have been targeted through all sorts of uh, uh in different ways from rape to bombings um sudan of course has one of had one of the highest populations of displaced internally displaced people in the world many of, of whom are women and children so you could see that the state had exercised violence in many different ways against women and so women are very much on the street and they're very much in the organizations uh and sort of volunteer organizations that are the basis um on the street of maintaining this sort of 24-7 uh, presence on the street, but also they are part of organizations like the Sudan Professionals Association uh, and workers' organizations that are also um, part of uh, trying to already uh, deal with these issues of corruption, of transitional justice, of um, dealing with uh, the legacy of this regime and dealing with the economic collapse that has affected women um, uh, disproportionately. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think it's my, my, my turn to answer on the point. Uh, first, first of all, um, women has been very, very much present and very active in demonstration, in the current demonstration, demonstration story in, uh, in Algeria happening there. And uh, they, they also, some of them organized themselves as feminists feminist, uh, not just as um, in solidarity within the general movement, but also to reclaim equal rights towards men. And, and this has raised also, uh, debates uh, within the movement, within the people who were part of the demonstrations. And the, the beginning, the, this beginning of uh, self-assertion of uh, women's rights within the demonstrations and the debates all around uh, really looks like uh, the situation in Sudan in which the, 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 the famous slogan, Sawt al-Mar'a Thawra, 
you know, women's voice, women's raising their voice is, is revolution in response to uh, the common expression saying that women's voice are, are, are failure. Uh, uh, that was uh, the way it, it was uh, it was raised from what I see in Sudan. It's the same issue here. You have also in the demonstrations, women raising their voice to demand equal rights. And the other thing uh, Hamza pointed out is uh, that there is a economic issue and women are central, uh, are the ones who 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 are the most margin marginalized economically. So you can't, you, so, so this movement, within this movement, you have the question of economic sovereignty, but also about women's uh, right to work. Uh, when you see the, the percentage of the labor force uh, today in Algeria is 18% of women who, uh, who can work, which means that they are the ones who are the most, um, I would say, uh, marginalized and uh, from getting a job. So, which means that more than 80%, 82% of men can work and 18% uh, of women work. So, the whole rest is not working, which means that they are dependent, very much dependent economically. And at the same time, um, uh, it's, not, it's not just a movement erupting just like this. There is a legacy of feminism within uh, the Algerian history, first of all, the Algerian War of Independence, in which most of many of you have seen women play the prominent role because France wanted to uh, play over the fact that, you know, Algerian people are very backwarded for women's rights. And actually, uh, the, the independence movement were the ones who were at the front, forefront uh, for women's rights. And uh, till today, you have uh, revolutionary figures like Jamila Bouhirad, uh, who, 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 were, who, who was uh, a national figure today in Algeria. She stand up in solidarity with uh, the current movement against uh, the, the, the army. And it's a very important symbol. It's interesting to see that those, uh, I would say, people who still kept some kind of integrity uh, towards the revolutionary legacy are women. And the other thing is that not just from this founding uh, historical points in which women have more reasons for independence than, than, than men, I would say, um, Feminist movement has been also uh, very much challenged in the in the recent years uh, when the neoliberal, uh, I would say, turn happened in the early 80s. Uh, at the same time, uh, they want they in a in a way to I would say control women's. The family code was uh, was settled, which means that uh, women are minors uh, and have not their own independence. And so since that, uh, those years, women has been fighting uh, over getting equal rights towards men. Uh, they're also fighting against harassment, street harassment. So it thought, it's not just uh, happening today. It's also uh, the fact that women now, new generations of women can stand up is because uh, the previous generation also fight for f f fight for those rights, and just to finish about it, uh, firstly, um, 
um, I would say like, yes, one of those challenges uh, regarding the situation uh, globally is the, the use of uh, women's uh, dress code, like uh, early, already in the independent, during the independence world, uh, France colonial rule said that, you know, the veil is backwarded and women have to dress like, you know, occidentally, etc. So this was a, I would say, a trap in which uh, sometimes when Algeria was independent was inside in it. For example, uh, still you have this, you know, opposition between uh, either uh, veiled women are seen as backwarded or seen as agents of uh, political Islam or seen as good people uh, in contrast to the ones who are not um, dressing uh, the hijab. Uh, those one who are who are dressing with uh, the hijab was always, you know, uh, categorized uh, politically, and and it's a and it's a real trap. So the, the the civil war, the current civil war, was also an instrumentalization of the political Islam towards women who are wearing jabaid, saying that it's a, I would say it's a it's what everybody should do, and the opposite is. Uh, the modernists, I would say, who were close to the army as well, saying that bad women are, are a threat and we should, you know, uh, liberation of women means that we have to be anti-hijab. So this was a trap in which, uh, in, in, in which feminist debate were in uh, during the, the 80s, 90s and the civil war. But uh, since the end of the civil war, it has uh, the, the, this situation has radically changed with mutual acceptance uh, among women in general. So there was a revival in the early 2000s of the feminist movement, which allowed um, reconciliation and the, the end of instrumentalization of women's uh, dressing uh, for political purposes. And so this allowed a kind of, um, I would say... Um, this allowed some kind of unity among women. women. I just conclude, sorry. Uh, uh, and that's the, the movement that we are seeing now on the street, which is helpful. Excellent. Thank you, Oma and Sarah. Thank you. Um, so another feature uh, of the uprisings are the defense of the rights of oppressed minorities and other marginalized parts of the population. So I wondered if y'all could talk about <clears throat> the anti-racist dimension of these struggles. I think especially concerning solidarity with the victims of genocide in Darfur. And so I think we'll take Adam uh, followed by Selma. So Adam, go ahead. Yeah, thank you for the question. I think um, regarding this question, what I can say is already uh, Sarah said before that this, this uh, beginning of the current uh, um, movement was also started in, um, uh, in this area, uh, Damazine, where it's also um, um, area with the poor people living and so and this is in 13 of uh, December uh, when the when the current uh, movement start that's why it's uh, clear this is beginning also of Zaya it's not just the act who was now uh, in Khartoum in, in capital uh, taking place but also it's starting from Zaya and as I said before in different area also in different cities I still also people sit in front of the army buildings uh, but uh, talking about Darfur, I think uh, we have to see also Darfur uh, is also not about now solidarity is showing uh, from other different people who are living in Khartoum or in other cities to Darfur. It's also about um, 
what Darfur did all this time. I think the people of Darfur, they are fighting this regime since 2003. And uh, they have um, given everything for, for, from, from their own place and also from their people. And we see that the result of that is more than 2 million people who, uh, who is as refugees and more than 10,000 people who got killed in, in, in Sudan and Darfur. And that's why uh, the old dictators over Bashir was, um, was demanded by International Criminal Court to be, um, to be uh, kept and bring to the court. Uh, and and he is the only um, president who was demanded by international criminal court in the time. Uh, also, we don't have to uh, talking about uh, this also poor area. We don't have to forget um, the war who is going on since 2011 uh, in in uh, Nuba Mountain, uh, where is a bombing uh, taking place since 2011, um, and also is uh, really terrible uh, things going on there since 2011, and thousands of people they uh, lose their life. Um, and that's why I think uh, this solidarity who's coming uh, in the middle uh, of, of the second, I think the second month of the demonstration, uh, where the old regime start uh, to somehow to play again this card of racism uh, between the Sudanese society again. And uh, he catch some student who don't have nothing to do with that. And they bring them to the uh, national TV. And he say, yeah, you know, um, talking to, to the society in Khartoum that these are people who is uh, causing all this problem and they're starting burning uh, autos in different places and so, and burning buildings and so, and they are, the, uh, they are the responsible of that and they're coming from Darfur and so. And it was uh, again uh, trying to use this card of racism again to divide the society, the society. Uh, but it was coming uh, clear in the next days um, uh, in, in the demo where the people shouting, uh, we are all there for, and shouting against this kind of racism. Uh, I think um, this somehow, um, for my point of view, is somehow bringing uh, the society in Sudan more closer to the issue that um, uh, the only uh, one who have to fight and and, and and it's not about it's not about uh, who's coming from and where you from because it's also part of our long uh, process in Sudan because um, for me uh, people talking when they talk about um, talk about colonial issue it's also part of colonial issue I think uh, racism now in Sudan and when people talk about it uh, they forget that Sudan have also uh, old um, um, somehow experienced with, uh, with, with, with a different uh, kind of colonial history. We have the colonial history from Cross Britain. Uh, that's what all people know about it. But also we have before um, uh, with the Osmani Empire and, 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 and also Egypt, Egypt uh, kind of uh, also colonial history. And that's why it's like, for example, um, uh, Islam uh, get to Sudan, and and all this history has to do with uh, with the crisis identities going on in Sudan because people uh, still, uh, if you see, there is so much discussion inside the society about if we, we are belonging to, uh, to to Arab culture or belonging to African culture because we are somehow maybe black people who speak Arabic, and uh, that was also question all the time uh, in in Sudan and was was all the time the army and, and dictatorship used to divide people in Sudan and to saying people who's coming from some area where is it not really uh, looking as Arab or they are not really white enough and they are um, trying to show this racism card against them and play it. But uh, I see this revolution somehow now um, 
breaking this wall of, of, of racism in Sudan somehow. It's still a still long way to go. For example, for sure, it's not that's not the end of it. But it was uh, great to see that this kind of um, struggle also uh, include this kind of uh, of, of, of anti uh, racism uh, discussion. Um, not not only the anti-racism discussion, I think it also was including uh, so much other right of, of 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 gay and lesbian and other things. Who was people not talk about it in Sudan as the Sudanese is like um, Muslim uh, culture where where some issue like this is not allowed to talk about it. Uh, uh, and, and that's why, for example, for my opinion, all the time I tell my friend around that. Uh, it's good that this this uh, this struggle now in Sudan is taking now more than five months. It's going to six months because every uh, all the time and every new days there is new discussion where society talk about issues that don't have they never talk about it and it was uh, taboo. There's no way to talk about it, but this revolution um, exists uh, somehow happened. Um, uh, for sure, uh, we hope that uh, the civil. Uh, a government comes soon and this um, somehow the struggle finish but i think for 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 tackling this uh, racist issue and all this uh, we still i think uh, we need more discussion in sudan as as now uh, it's coming up to people to talk about it and show solidarities uh, with the victim in genocide in darfur and so on uh, but i think uh, the, the racist and anti-racist movement in sudan have to be continued because there is a deep discussion have to be taking place especially uh, regarding this uh, identity crisis, uh, we are where where we belong as uh, Sudanese uh, people, and and uh, and not just uh, seeing uh, uh, the things about now solidarity uh, taking place because of, of of what's going on in Darfur before, but also the tackle the issue why why is this uh, problem is happening in Sudan? Yeah, great. Thank you, Thank you so much, uh, Selma. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, concerning the oppressed minorities, the thing is that. Uh, since the movement started, few things remain strangely invisible, especially because just a few months before, they were like among the most heated debates within the country, and uh, the and minorities were victim of a, of a severe attacks from the media. So among them, I would like to mention migrants, uh, sub-Saharan mi migrants, black people, who are often seen as a threat uh, in the country among. Among, uh, among the medias and the mainstream, but as well victims of uh, attacks by the people uh, and no one, no, one, no one backing them. The situation is very similar to the one in, uh, in Morocco in which, uh, in which migrants are denied rights. So it's, uh, it can be surprising that in this demonstration with this nationalist character, uh, the, the, this issue is not, is not raised or even debated because uh, debates were very heated and people were very divided uh, between solidarity, those who express solidarity, who reject racism against black people and those who are violently uh, spreading lies about them. Uh, also, the other concerning other oppressed minorities, of course, this movement uh, will be We'll, be, we'll have to say something about uh, my LGBT minorities who are also existing, who, who are visible within the country, as well as, um, as, well as uh, people who are not following uh, Sunni Islam. Uh, this is also other issues, but for the moment, they are not, they are not raised, which doesn't mean that 
you shouldn't care about it, but we have to be very aware and careful uh, on, on, on that matter. Uh, concerning the, the 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 redefinition of uh, of uh, of Algeria uh, within the demonstration, uh, something that was uh, at the first place seen as a minority issue is actually a majority issue. I'm talking about the question of Amazir and Tamazir, the language of uh, that originally existed in Algeria before the Arabs came, and this is interesting to see that since uh, the, the Berber Spring in the 80s and throughout the movements, uh, the Black Spring in 2001, that there is further acceptation among Algerians in general of their Amazir parts uh, of their identity. And you can see it because the Amazir flag uh, is now waving um, with the Algerian flag, knowing that Algerians are especially attached to the Algerian flag, it is interesting to see that they accept uh, the Amazir flag, which means that uh, something very interesting has happened uh, within the society uh, before this movement, and that is now uh, really, uh, I would say, explicitly uh, uh, a national uh, a matter of a national pride and hope, hopefully a regional pride because Amazir culture is the culture of all Northern Africa. Um, the other, concerning the, the marginalized part, well, there are several ones, I would say, uh, every, every, every part that are not really in the city. So uh, Algeria is uh, mostly, the, 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 the most of the population is living on the coast, on the major cities. So central is Algiers, uh, Wahran at the west, and Xantena, uh, uh, Constantine at the eastern part. And so you have all the areas around who can be considered as marginalized parts. Uh, Kabili can be seen some areas as marginalized part, but the fact that they are close to Algiers, uh, they are very much known in terms of movement. Uh, I can mention the city of Bijaya, who's a city who's close to Algiers and who's also playing an interesting part, uh, play, uh, leading role in terms of trade union organizing and have very strong demonstrations. Uh, suburbs around Algiers, where you have uh, most of the people, uh, most of the poor people uh, living there, Borj uh, Borivish, who's close to, who's at the Algiers suburbs, has seen the biggest demonstration, maybe bigger than than in Algiers and very much lively, mostly, um, I would say, organized by young people, young football supporters. So these are, I would say, about the, the marginalized part, part who, who, who are playing an important, I would say, an important role. The other one, I think, who's very strategic on two matches is uh, the Sahara. The Sahara around, well, 20% of the population lives in the Sahara. They are also very much marginalized. Uh, many of them are black, so they are subjected to anti-black racism. Uh, many of them don't speak that much French, which means that uh, they can't really uh, get into the best schools, I would say. Uh, the, the other thing is that many of them are margin more marginalized into uh, getting a job. And the, the, the contradiction is that um, most of uh, Algeria's income, 90% of Algeria's exploitation come from oil that is extracted in Sahara. And the people who live there are among the most poor. Uh, recently, a few, few weeks ago, you can see that the demonstrations were very, very much violent. There were clashes with the police. 
uh, near uh, the city of Chimimun in the area of Chinirkuk, where I where I come from, actually. And uh, people were demonstrating, protesting the fact that they were they they don't have jobs, that there is strong economic activity, but they are excluding from from those jobs. The other issue is so this one is strategic. Sahara is playing a strategic role on that matter, and at the same time, uh, the extraction of oil, but also of gas and of freak, um, fracking. Uh, is uh, dangerous uh, towards the people living there. So um, there were lots of movements uh, before uh, the, the, the revolution started, these recent months that happened in the Sah Saharan area. With this, Despite the fact that the Sahara is very big, people are very much in solidarity to each other. Uh, years ago, they staged sit-ins against uh, the exploitation of fracking because if you, if you, if you, if you frack the ground, the Saharan ground, it means that people won't get water and water is the most precious element for, 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 for people to live. So the ecologic issue, uh, I would say that people who were uh, raised, um, who started to, to organize in Sahara are very, very much conscious on the, on the ecologic uh, issue. And it raises also a general question of what kind of Algeria do you want? Do we still want to exploit petrol and waste, uh, waste the land or rather answer to, to, to people's demand and think about a more long-term development that could be sustainable for everyone. And I think that the, the movements that started in, in, in the Sahara years ago has helped to develop a kind of uh, ecologic, uh, ecologic consciousness that goes beyond the, 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 the fact that saying that this petrol is our petrol, but also petrol, gas and fracking are dangerous for land. So this is not just about petrol. This is not about who is getting the chair. This is about how uh, can we get a clean, a clean land. And we can see that this idea of this ecological, just to conclude, has spread nationally because people want to, uh, general, generally in demonstration, people clean up behind them. They don't want to let plastic on the ground. Uh, students uh, clean up the whole university showing that they want a clean Algeria. Uh, a great and clean Algeria for everyone. Excellent, thanks so much. Uh, Sara, did you wanna add anything to this question specifically? You're muted. Okay, in that case, we'll go to the next question, unless Sara would like to respond. I go. do actually want to respond very briefly. Yeah, go ahead. You got it. We can hear you. Yeah, I mean, I think um, pretty much um, Adam um, has uh, covered it, but and also it's it's always fascinating for me to hear Salma and Hamza speak because I think there is a, a lot of similarities actually between Algeria and, and Sudan in many ways, also an oil-based economy. I think a lot of what we see happening in Sudan has to do with um, a history of social exclusion and economic exclusion of what is uh, uh, spoken of in Sudan as uh, or the peripheries, the areas outside the central region in the country where Khartoum is and the areas around it. And this is a racialized um, system of extraction that goes back to colonial times, but that was very much adopted by post-colonial regimes. So I think what's important is to also identify what this regime has brought on or innovated in terms of sort of its brutality and its structural violence and what is actually 
um, aspects of this violence that have been promoted by successive um, post-colonial regimes, including the very brief periods of, of democracy. So um, this sort of link between the racialization of the economy and the racialization of the society and its gendering as well, the way that it's gendered and racialized, I think these revolutions carry a, a lot of potential. Um, at the same time, um, I think that this potential has to be nurtured. Um, so even if we pass this very uh, critical period um, into a time where we actually do have a shot at a transition into a different uh, form of government and hopefully a different form of society, I think we have to deal at the, at the, at the basis of this with this kind of racialized forms of exclusion. And um, you can see that there is a lot happening, but I think on its own, um, it, it's not going to be enough to really change this deeply rooted and historically rooted um, elements of, of structural violence. So that's what I want to say for the moment. And um, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Brian, can I add something briefly? Yeah, go ahead. Then we'll go to Just a quick comment. I'm not, I'm not going to be long. And I, I think another dimension of anti-racism, of these struggles, um, could be the shattering of racist stereotypes and myths about the people in the region. Um, these pe Arab and Muslim people are not fit for democracy. They, all they need is the stick. And I think this is, this is important to emphasize because it, it is for me a challenge to white supremacy and Orientalist views about the region. Thank you. Thank you so much. So the next question is, what has been the role of labor unions? Adam. Uh, yeah, the labor unions, I uh, think, is taking all the time big rules and playing big rules, not, not only in this current revolution in Sudan, but also in the two revolutions was happening before in Sudan. That's why in the beginning uh, of this dictatorship in 1998, when he came to, to power, he is starting with breaking the old structure of the labor union and he, he bring his own people uh, to, to make like non-elected, non-political uh, uh, non, uh, um, labor union. Uh, but uh, since 2012, the people start uh, to make alternative labor union, and this labor union, uh, Sudanese Professional Association, is one of them who is alternative structure. The people start to do it since 2012, I think, and then uh, in this. Uh oh, Adam got disconnected. They had, uh, do you hear me? Yeah, they had, uh, yeah. they had one uh, demonstration. They are now, uh, yeah, but uh, now do you hear me now? Yes. Hello? Okay. Um, yeah, um, uh, going back to say um, it uh, in the beginning uh, of this uh, revolution, uh, this uh, alternative uh, Sudan Professional Association is alternative labor union who will try to challenge this uh, idea of um, minimum wage and all this. I don't got disconnected again. They already plan to have... Um... No, I'm here. They, they plan somehow uh, to have a demonstration uh, in that uh, before uh, the time of the revolution, but then they, they change it to the time uh, of the demo and they go together with the people and also they calling in the Facebook page of them the Sudanese Professional Association all the time 
for uh, demonstration and um, it's also this different um, labor union who is uh, including all uh, professional people as part of this. Thanks. Adam, you are getting disconnected. Can you speak to us again? Can you hear us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing you. I don't know if you don't hear me, but uh, I'm hearing you. I don't know what's going on. Okay. But I'm hearing you. you. We were, there were brief moments where, where you were getting disconnected. Do you still, do you want to say anything else? Um, not really. I think uh, just uh, in, in small words, uh, they they playing big, they playing big roles. But in this uh, revolution, and especially the Sudanese Professional Association (SPA), SPA, where they are um, alternative labor union. Thanks. Thank you, Hamza. Um, yes, um, the labor unions um, do play a role, and and they are actively participating in the current revolutionary dynamic but unlike in Tunisia back in 2011 and in currently in Sudan their role has been very limited because they have been weakened considerably in the last few decades um, first of all when I'm talking about labor unions here I mean the autonomous independent or independent ones not not the UGTA like the general union of Algerian workers which is the biggest trade union in the country but is affiliated to the regime, the system in place, and has been playing the reactionary role against workers' interests. Um, there is currently a movement inside this union to reappropriate it and cleanse it from its corrupt and pro-regime leadership. Actually, many trade unionists have been protesting in several regions of the country for several weeks now, demanding from the current general secretary to, to step down, and I think these efforts must be, must be strengthened as this will be a very positive achievement for the workers themselves and can give an impetus to the current revolutionary process by involving workers much more. And I think which can take the revolution to its next stage of escalation and resistance. As for the independent trade unions, they have been involved in the uprising since day one. The unions of the education and health sectors have called for an organized strikes and protests, asking for the right and solidarity with the movement. Um, there was a general strike in the first, week, first few weeks of the uprising and played an important role in pushing Bouteflika to abdicate. Lawyers and judges associations have also given their support by refusing to oversee any elections under the current systems. And much more broadly, students are also trying uh, in the process of organizing themselves at the national level. However, not everything is rosy, uh, because at the current juncture, um, there is a political deadlock where the military high command is rejecting any transitional period and insisting that presidential elections be held urgently, which means the status quo and the reconduction of the, the old regime. 
Um, I'm a bit, I'm just a bit surprised that the independent unions are not campaigning right now for a general strike in order to force the military to yield, as was the case with Sudan. Uh, in the contrary, we've seen a configuration of some autonomous unions um, calling for a short democratic transition that shouldn't go beyond six months. Uh, for me, this kind of strategy is not revolutionary at all and can facilitate the work of the counter-revolution and the restoration of the, of the ancien regime. Thank right. you, so that's a good segue to the next question, which is about uh, the forces of counter-revolution. And so the first question that Frida asked was, of course, about continuities and discontinuities with the Arab Spring. And one of those continuities is that of counter-revolution. Like while this is happening in Algeria and Sudan, we see in uh, Syria, Bashar al-Assad is crushing the remnants of the Syrian revolution. Uh, there are bombs falling in Idlib um, at the same time Saudi Arabia, Russia, China, and the US back the current Sudanese military regime. Uh, the current leader of the Sudanese military government, uh, General Al-Bahan, uh, is meeting currently in Saudi Arabia with uh, governments of the Arab League. Um, and he backed forces in the Saudi war on Yemen. Um, so with all these sort of things going on, uh, what kind of beacon of hope do you see the Sudanese and Algerian uprisings raising that could challenge these regional and international powers of counter-revolution and express solidarity with you know, labor, feminists, and oppressed minority struggles in the region uh, broader? And that's kind of a big, complicated question, but we'll go to uh, Sarah, followed by Selma. Go ahead, Sarah. Um, uh, thanks a lot for the question. Um, I mean, I think it's important to mention in the case of Sudan that this, this uprising started uh, not long after um, Omar al-Bashir went uh, to visit Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Um, and that was, that was uh, a notable uh, visit in the sense that Arab leaders have not, of, of course, been visiting um, Bashar al-Assad. And that was an attempt, or it was rather an attempt in Sudan for the Bashir regime to um, sort of appeal to Russia or make itself attractive to Russia. Um, I think you know, I see a, a very, it's a very, very complicated question regionally for us in Sudan, not just in relation to the, the Middle East and the Arab world, but also, of course, um, we have a, a very specific identity because we're an African Arab country. I think our um, links to Africa have always been downplayed by successive regimes. And this is one of the things that I think myself and many Sudanese hope will change in the future, that we will strengthen our relationship um, um, with also our sub-Saharan African um, neighbors. Um, but in, in relation to this incredibly complicated question, I would say that, um, I'm actually sometimes surprised by the extent to which there is not more attention to what is happening in Sudan and Algeria, not just in relation to the region as a beacon of hope, because of course um, the region has uh, gone through a lot since uh, 2011, and it's a, it's a moment, I think and recently a friend of mine described it as kind of a, a widespread uh, deep depression. Um, but I think in relation to kind of what's happening globally, where you see right-wing movements, um, and in some cases, fascist movements taking over uh, across the globe from European countries to, uh, to uh, the US, to Brazil, to India, um, and so forth. Um, and I think uh, 
what is happening um, in Sudan and Algeria is incredibly important because it shows, number one, that uh, these very simplistic ideas about failure um, that uh, the uprisings um, in, in recent years have failed. It's an incredibly simplistic idea because, as um, I believe Hamza said early on, um, our social movements are an accumulation of lessons that we learned. They're also accumulations of traumas, but they're also accumulations of, of learning processes. So for me to see youth who are leading um, this revolution in Sudan, um, sort of using symbolism at times um, and, and songs and chants from the 1964 uprising or using certain strategies that we've been seeing used in other spaces across the region in the uprisings, but also innovating and coming up with their own strategies. I think it, it shows that there is the possibility and the space for peaceful, people-led, anti-racist, anti-sexist movements um, that are very much challenging also the class structure and the, stru the sort of the, the, the continuation of the colonial extraction policies is not only possible, but that uh, it is possible through on the ground organization, on the ground strategy, and it is also possible through the building of broad alliances. So I think it's, it's, it's not only, I think, inspirational, but I think to say that it's inspirational, I'm always afraid to use this word because it assumes that it's, you, know, you know, things are now easy and we can be like the poster child of success. No, we are at a very critical moment where things could get very ugly very quickly. And so what we need is both um, support we need to be a source of inspiration, but this inspiration has to be backed by actual concrete action. Uh, transnational, internationalist action is what we need. And we also need in this region to exchange lessons and strategies, because I think sort of nationalism tends to be very strong in, in these uprisings. And the idea is almost like we're always talking about ourselves as, as unique somehow. Our suffering is unique and our movements are unique. They are unique in some ways. But I think when I listen to what happens in Algeria, when I see what's happening in Tunisia, actually after what is considered the successful revolution, I, what was happening in Egypt or what's happening in Zimbabwe earlier on in the year with also a lot of protests in relation to the economic conditions or in Haiti, which also happened. I think there's a lot of room for us to learn from each other and to also build, um, build movements that are based on strategy, on organization, on being able to sustain ourselves and sustain each other. And I think I'll leave it at that for, for the moment too. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Thelma? Yes. Um, first, uh, to to uh, the, the concerning the, the the African the African continent, one of the two com big common points uh, with Sudan and Algeria is that these are countries who has big economic way. Uh, Algeria is the fourth biggest GDP, and Sudan is the sixth GDP. Uh, country uh, in the in the whole continent, which means that when a revolution is happening, it can has can have an impact also on 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 the region. Not saying that people are rich, but there is a wealth, <laughs> a consequent wealth that that is being produced. Uh, the other point is that co concerning the Algerian state, uh, the trauma of the war of uh, of the independent war. Um, gave a space also for the Algerian state to uh, assert its own independence, also economic independence. So I can hardly see, to, uh, uh, and you can see it in the way France also reacts to the current movement. Uh, they don't want to get angry with anyone, nor the people, nor the government, because they need them for business. Uh, a country like France imports 11% of, uh, of the gas from Algeria. Uh, so there is this relation of 
uh, interdependent relation, despite the fact that I would say petrol, gas uh, is um, up, have the, their prices fixed on the, the global market, uh, still the, the Algeria uh, managed through its own history, through, through its history to avoid any kind of uh, external, I would say, external, um, external intervention. And actually, even uh, the neoliberal measure who allowed that uh, are very unpopular among the ruling class. There are fights, but mostly uh, among the working class who, who are against that kind of neoliberalized uh, integration, economic integration. So this is for the, the economic part. And actually the regime is also trapped uh, into uh, the independent stuff. They have to show off that the country is still independent. So even if they want for example, I, I just compare uh, in terms of hope is that, uh, yes, uh, there, there, there are lots of, uh, I would say, repression and historically the repression could be very bloody. But for the moment, this is not happening. And, and, and the fact that the movement is also massive and unique since the independence can give hope. Like if we compare the situation in Syria and let alone the repression, the movement was huge. It was well organized from below. The only reason why it has been crushed, it's because Bashar al-Assad uh, has received uh, regional support, regional support from Iran and re regional support from Russia. Uh, I can hardly see today uh, Algeria uh, trying to benefit from any uh, regional support in the Mediterranean region or even among the, their neighbors. Uh, they would be immediately, uh, uh, the regime itself would be destroyed be because its own uh, meaning uh, is, uh, being is being independent. So there is still this, this idea. And so even among the demonstration, you have people are scared of this or even of this happening behind. Uh, so um, you have lots of, uh, I would say, Tanker, uh, placards, uh, you have huge, 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 what we say, TIFO is a, a building, uh, is the building size of a banner who are against any, who are against France, who are against the US, who are against Saudi Arabia, entering into uh, internal Algerian affairs. So you have this, this way of seeing like regional powers as already a threat and the people who's been fighting for independence don't want to see themselves being dictated by another country. So uh, to this point, I think it can be also a good starting point for all the countries in the region. But at the same time, uh, like Algeria, the fact that there is a movement that is now appearing on the international level, while uh, Algeria was not that much known on the international level, neither the movements were known on the international level. But the fact that they are now visible on that level maybe can allow also among the people to express solidarity beyond, 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 uh, beyond borders and solidarity beyond uh, only the question of Palestine, which is deeply colonial. So that's why people raise the flag of Palestine. But uh, I think we still, we still need to see uh, people who learn also from Sudan. I think there is also some kind of inspiration that comes from Sudan from the fact that everybody came out on the street and it has changed the situation. Uh, it has entered the mind of the Algerians, but there is also a, a long way. And I think it's movement also on a long, it's a long-term long movement in which people have to also consciously 
um, uh, accept the fact that they are influenced uh, by the regional by the regional movement by Sudan also, and I think it's key because it could break also uh, anti-black racism to show off that black people are also at the at, at the forefront of the movement, and, and they are actually at the forefront of the movement, and they are actually more organized than 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 Algerians are on a national level. So. It's not. It's still. It's still not visible. But it, it has to be encouraged and raised up. And uh, organizations for the movement are mostly uh, involved internally. Uh, mostly seeing themselves about what's happening. And I hope that also uh, the the in, in the process they will open up about a more uh, the need of being more. Uh, more, more in solidarity with the with the with, with the struggling countries around, with Morocco, who started the movement much before uh, Algeria, with the Tunisia's revolution, but also uh, with, with, with what's happening in, in in Mali and Senegal in general. The other thing, also, that uh, just to finish uh, a little bit about it is that Algeria also is playing a key role in uh, in anti-terrorism politics. So it, it, it is an important ally to Occidental powers uh, uh, for, anti for all the anti-terrorism intelligence uh, matter, but also on controlling the borders. So it is very important for this. I think even if, if, even if it's not internationalistic yet, uh, the very fact of the weakening of uh, this regime could also help opening the borders, help uh, breaking uh, ties with the EU, which is the major economic partner uh, with Algeria, but also in terms of security partner. So it could help also to, to, to reshape the whole region and, and, and maybe reconnect in a, in a more solidarity way. Thank you. Thank you so much for all these very illuminating responses. We have two more questions left from the moderators, and we have already exceeded our time limit for the first part of the meeting. So we'll ask for briefer responses to the remaining two questions. So um, the next question is, the 2011 uprisings prided themselves in being free of ideology and leaderless. While that claim was liberatory in the sense of attempting to oppose dogmatism and centralization, those uprisings did not offer an emancipatory anti-capitalist vision that was also feminist, multiracial, multicultural, and open to gender fluidity. Now, in light of the experiences of the past eight years and the global historical failures experienced in the name of emancipation, how are these lessons expressing themselves on the ground? How do anti-capitalist or socialist ideas feature in these uprisings? How are the ideas of thinkers like Karl Marx or Franz Fanon relevant? Adam? Um, regarding this question, um is uh, what we what I can say to make it really short that uh, first uh, Sudan have been ruled uh, by uh, somehow Muslim brother and they have this ideology of Islam to be ruled as as, as one of the rule who to rule the whole countries and other people have this revolution against it 
then it is clear that the people uh, are made from beginning clear signal that they uh, they don't need any more uh, re, um, kind of religion inside uh, uh, the system of ruling the country and uh, citizenship have to be is the only matter of um, being uh, in this country in Sudan. That's why we think it's, in, it's, in, it's also somehow kind of develop of, of, of ideologies that to move uh, religion and all other things who, who just um, think have to do with the, the person at the self, with his God, if he's believe or not. And I think uh, in, in this way, we can see this somehow uh, is relevant now issue in Sudan. Uh, about anti-capitalism, um, we, we can say it is also playing a small role in Sudan. I think it's not a big role because um, the people is poor and they are also uh, having this revolution uh, somehow uh, to get something for themselves. Then it's, it's, it's being big part of the people who is talking about to build the country in the way of like how to be in, how is it being in Europe and how to be in, I don't know. Uh, then it's this idea of, of of like real fighting capitalism is not is not really uh, uh, relevant now in there, but we still we can say it's also part of the discussion now in the revolution in Sudan because also we have the um, we have a different party in the history of of, of politicals in Sudan. Uh, we have different parties who who have these ideologies of uh, anti-capitalism and socialist uh, like communist party in Sudan, and they uh, somehow reflecting about this issue. And also the labor union, as we said before, is also playing a big role in that. He's also talking about the right have to be to the worker. It's also kind of way of talking about anti-capitalism and, and the right for worker. But it's not the big issues now, I think, in, 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 the, in, in the discussion in the Sudan. Uh, as I said before, in this area now, in the sitting, uh, all the time taking place workshops, seminars. And so people still talk about it and negotiate these issues. But I think it's in the comments time, it will be a uh, biggest issue. But now I think it is uh, not uh, playing big roles. Frida, shall I go? I think, I think this question uh, necessitates um, a whole lecture, but I don't know. I'll, I'll try to, to do it in less than four minutes, hopefully. Um, just to pick on your question about, about ideology, I agree that the Arab uprisings, and including the current Algerian one, can be qualified as, as, as a revolution without revolutionary ideas, as they were lacking the kind of radicalism that marked earlier revolutions in the 50s, in the 60s, and 70s, where anti-capitalist and anti-imperialist sentiments were expressed very clearly through well-articulated vision. As you said in your question, these uprisings pride themselves to be free of ideology, non-ideological or post-ideological as how people um, describe them, but I don't think that's entirely true. Um, I would say that the neoliberal paradigm being taken as um, natural and common sense has permeated the way the demands have been articulated. And it, and it has shaped how people organize themselves. Um, we've seen how the revolutionaries of the Arab Spring were preoccupied with broad issues, with liberal broad issues of human individual rights, um, political accountability, fighting corruption and legal reform. 
Um, basically, what I want to say is that neoliberalism, in a way, altered the nature of radical politics and somehow deradicalized dissent. And this is extremely worrying. When it comes to the lessons that can be learned from the first wave of the Arab uprisings, and I insist that the Algerians um, can be analyzed within within this within this optic, as it can be analyzed with with other um, through other um, lenses like the anti-colonial struggle, their own experiences. So the lessons I think number one that changing the head of state and removing a few officials is not enough to radically change the system. Um, based on the Egyptian experiences and their own ones, the Algerians and Sudanese learned not to trust the military high command and are pushing for a civilian democratic rule. And it is for me becoming clear, and I hope that I will be proved wrong by the Algerian um, ongoing struggle, that horizontal movements are extremely vulnerable and tend um, to be ephemeral uh, in the face of more organized and entrenched counter-revolutionary forces. When it comes to the part of your question regarding Marxism and Panonism, I think definitely they are very relevant when we talk about revolution and emancipation. Marxism helps you bring a class analysis um, uh, for a true liberation of the marginalized classes. And I think the Marxist left should be the force that bring freedom and equality together, not only political equality, but socioeconomic equality that eliminates those class disparities in society. Because democracy cannot um, be complete under the framework of the domination of capital and the dictatorship of the market. When it comes to Fanon, he's a kind of um, a mentor and a spiritual leader to me. Uh, he believed in the masses and what they can do. And he argued that the masses always affirm their role as agents of their own destiny, even, even in the midst of the worst disaster. And he contrasted this um, with his instinctive aversion to the national bourgeoisie that will betray the masses Halt liberation and replace, you know, the colonial their the colonial counterparts. Four minutes. Okay, um, I'll finish now. I think Fanon predicted the bankruptcy and the stupidity of um, those um, those bourgeoisies and argued that we need to go from a national political consciousness into a social consciousness. And I think these ideas need to inspire us. But unfortunately, the left is weak. But I think it's in these moments that it can revive itself and revive those ideas. Great. Thanks, Hamza. And we'll uh, organize your full lecture on that uh, later. Um, so we're going to move on to the last uh, question from the moderators. And I think we're going to have time to take at least three questions from the internet. Um, we'll be going a little over time, but I think this is a good conversation. So the last question um, is a compound question. Uh, the first is, what do you see as the prospects for the future of the uprising? Uh, what are the challenges and what will it take to overcome them? Um, and then the second part of it is, what kind of international solidarity uh, do you hope for um, to, to support the uprisings? And so maybe we could take each panelist for about three or four minutes um, and go, uh, we'll take Sarah and then Selma and then Hamza and then Adam. So Sarah, do you wanna get us started off? 
Yeah, sure. Um, in terms of the challenges that we're facing, um, I think I, I sort of already hinted at um, the fact that we are at uh, incredibly um, fragile moment right now of the revolution. Um, somehow people have managed to maintain a presence on the street for close to six months, 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, during Ramadan, 40 some degrees Celsius heat. But um, uh, the uh, sort of coalition that is uh, sort of leading the negotiations with the Transitional Military Council, um, which is composed of, of the uh, Sudanese Professionals Association, which still carries a very high degree of legitimacy um, with the revolutionaries and the protesters on the street. Um, uh, but it also, can, uh, also includes many political parties uh, in the opposition, as well as civil society organizations and some of the armed movements um, that have been fighting the state in different regions, um, some but not all. Um, it is very, very clear right now that uh, the uh, military council does not want to hand over power to civilians. It is very, very clear that they see themselves as the rightful leaders um, uh, of the country. It is very, very clear that there are incredible um, uh, economic and strategic um, interests that they have in remaining in control. And so a lot of the negotiations have sort of broken down on um, on this aspect of their role essentially in the transition and also the length of the transition. Um, they would like two years, the, 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 the forces for the declaration of freedom and change, the coalition that's um, negotiating um, has proposed uh, four years, I suppose the compromise would be three, but essentially um, we also see uh, in the last weeks um, a return of violence in Khartoum within the area of the sitting itself. Of course, it's really important to mention that the violence never ceased in other states, for example, in Darfur, where the sittings were brutally um, attacked and people continued to be killed, protesters continued to be killed. So there's a dual strategy essentially of um, a kind of uh, being more careful in the capital, right, and with certain constituencies than they are in the areas where they believe people to be marginalized enough that they can get away with um, with, with violence against them. So um, we are at a moment where also the international agendas, um, for the most part, are either silent or um, somehow tacitly allowing the military transitional council to continue to hold on to power and or actually actively uh, lending support to the military council to remain in power. So I would say in terms of challenges, it's a, it's a, it's a question of, um, on the one hand, being able to sustain the civil disobedience, to widen the civil disobedience, but um, on the other hand is what are we going to do to pressure the military transitional council? Because um, the risk of violence uh, is, is very high. We, we already see this return of violence, but also the risk of fragmentation within uh, the coalition itself and sort of the issues of trust between those negotiating um, on behalf of the people um, and the people themselves and their own relationships. And um, very quickly in terms of, um, of the solidarity aspects of it, um, you know, it, it, it sort of hurts us in Sudan in a way that we were under US sanctions for, for so long since the 90s. And um, that is one of the elements that has isolated us in, in, in terms of um, sort of the international stage, but also um, the fact that the regime actively isolated us in many different ways by shutting down the internet, um, sort of to quell dissent and so forth. On the other hand, what we uh, do have going for us is unfortunately due to the economic and political and conflict situation in the country, the Sudanese diaspora is massive. 
There are millions of Sudanese abroad. They have very much backed, it's a very political diaspora that has very much backed um, this revolution. And so I would say that there is a very strong need to um, keep the revolution visible to spread good information about what's happening there, to draft union resolutions. We already see some examples of this, but I, I, there needs to be a lot more of this. And to lobby uh, various governments, the European Union with its sort of um, externalized border agendas, um, dealing with the regional dynamics and so forth in order to make sure that um, the left is giving as much support to, to, to this uprising and to the Algerian uprising as possible. Thank you so very much. Uh, Selma? Yes, concerning the prospects, uh, I think Hamza talked about it a little bit. Uh, the the left, the the ability for the left to 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 revive within these movements are are really key because uh, anger is there. Movements are very strong, and there is also a strong, uh, I would say, legacy of strikes. Uh, Algerian has been staging strikes to have lots of trade unions and some strikes. Uh, really gained, like in the early 2000s, many people, and even in 2011, people uh, won over their strikes, have better, uh, managed to get better paid. So clearly, uh, what, is, what is very frustrating with this movement, when you see now all, everyone, everybody on the street is for the left to, 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 to manage to get gains. And there are two, two key aspects uh, that in which the left is put to test is actually is uh, is the uh, economic concrete situation is going to change for the people and uh, and on the other hand also how is the left going to respond to the current repression happening uh, since uh, the, the the beginning one of the first demonstrators al hajj garmul has been arrested uh, no has been yes he has been arrested in the in, in the first demonstration he's still in jail so uh, the left also needs to reconnect uh, with uh, the impoverished the impoverished youth and not only learning from marxism but bringing something new to to to, to the marxist uh, sorry there are screams around uh, bringing something new to to the to, to the marxist uh, i would say um, uh, theory because we are not facing only working class people we are also facing and it's a common feature with all uh, the revolution happening in the era impoverished youth so people who don't have job who don't have workplaces to organize so there are new ways we need to organize uh, neighbor per neighbor we have also to learn from uh, football supporters the way they organize so the left has to reconnect to all that and trying to create something new and create lessons for 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 everyone so um and we also should be aware about something else is that it's not just a short-term movement it's a long-term movement i was very surprised to see like a young a young a young girl speaking on at, at the algerian tv uh independent tv saying that uh, we are ready to struggle for 50 years if we need to and we have to 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 take into account the fact that the, the the young generations who are raising up, uh, and who are the major part of the people who are struggling, uh, are ready for a long term a long term movement because they've seen that it's not that easy to let them to 
for the military to let down the power and the economic power, it takes uh, it takes a long determined struggle. So long term determined struggle means that people through that struggle will have the time to reconnect to each other, but also to organize because Algeria is also like Sudan, a very big country, and uh, people still need to connect to each other. We need to decentralize the struggle. Everything is not just happening in the capital, but also in the marginalized area. So all these area areas need to be reconnected and. Those are the huge uh, tasks for the left in which they can also, not the left only itself, but um, I would say, uh, I would say they, they should also be open to support for the new generations to do so, because new generations are also not uh, out of politics. They, they, they are learning very fast and maybe faster than political organization. So they have to get inspired from this youth. So just to finish about what kind of uh, international solidarity do we need? Uh, just to say that, of course, you have the the basic links with the with, with, with the with the trade unions, the need for uh, for also to to raise funds for those organizations to 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 be able to organize and to have economic independence. We see how NGOs have a tendency to hijack this independence. So we need class solidarity. On the other hand, I'm 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 actually living in France, and so. Uh, in, in France, you have also a big uh, diaspora in Algeria for years and years. Those countries are very close to each other. And you have lots of also Algerian people who are organized. For example, today there is a whole session in central Paris that's been organized by Agir pour le changement démocratique en Algérie, LACDA, who have also linked with trade unions. You have lots of Algerians and uh, children of Algerians who are very much involved in the social movements in France, which means that we have the we have we have the political space to do something, and the fact that there is a big diaspora also abroad uh, allows for uh, direct pressure towards those uh, those powers concerning the Sudanese. I can I can tell that the fact that uh, you have migrants now in Paris that are very uh, very much there. They are also very much organized. They are trying to raise awareness towards trade unions, etc. That they are staging demos. And they are linking the situation, the mig migrant situation, to, to 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 what's happening. So many, many, many links are are, are happening to the borders. Great, thanks so much. And sorry to remind people of time, um, but uh, Hamza followed by Adam. Go ahead, Hamza. I think Selma already covered most of it, so I'll, um, I'll, maybe I'll talk mainly about what kind of international solidarity we need. Um, I think something that needs to be done is to emphasize the radical voices and give space um, to progressive analysis that go beyond the usual mainstream liberal bullshit. Um, try to establish contact with comrades and lefty organizations and unions on the ground and see what kind of support they need. Um, I think something very important for me, I think, is bring the Sudanese and Algerian struggles together to learn from each other, to reinforce each other. Because I think there is hope, but at the same time, we cannot be naive. There is a huge constellation of counter-revolutionary forces from regional powers like Saudi Arabia and Emirates um, to Western imperialist powers like France, Britain, and the US to you know reactionary forces in, in, in our own countries. 
So yeah, we need to reinforce those struggles and maybe even launch campaigns again against those counter-revolutionary forces. As um, as for um, Middle Eastern and Arab and other African socialists and lefty activists, I think um, they shouldn't be shying away of sharing their own thoughts and critiques and the things, the lesson they learned from their own you know, proper confiscated revolutions. Because you know, ideas of revolutions are very important now, and people need to learn from past revolutions. I stop here. Excellent, Excellent. Adam. Um, yeah, I think uh, Sarah has uh, said uh, all of it. I think I don't have so much things to say, but just one point. I think has to do also with the uh, question about what uh, challenge we have to overcome, and also what kind of solidarity can be. And I mean, uh, I, I I just need to highlight one point that uh, I think from leftists they can play big rules in anti-war uh, uh, campaign or something like this because I think it's important, especially in the case of Sudan, when we see uh, that uh, um, power like Saudi Arabia and also United States uh, and, and, and Arab Emirates are playing big role now to uh, not really um, uh, that's, that's why I think it is important that to see this point of of like because uh, in Sudan now um, there is a different uh, kind of of, uh, of power who is playing around, not making it easy for the people uh, to get the civil government. One issue that the Sudanese uh, soldiers from uh, Speed Forces Army is fighting in in war in Yemen, and uh, especially this war in Yemen internationally also is not is not really covered, and no one need to talk about it because we know that it is pushing by Saudi Arabia, Arab Emirates, and other countries who is uh, international powers like uh, United States, uh, Donald Trump, right wings, who say, who's saying he's really proud of selling the biggest amount of weapon to, to, to Saudi Arabia. I think a uh, point like this, we have to focus in it because it's also for us as a people in Sudan, it's not easy now to overcome this issue, especially uh, if we see this has to do with also international uh, um, war and also um, uh, power of, 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 of international uh, media, but I think it's left have the right or have more uh, chance now to get in and, and, and try to, to make at least uh, in this point uh, anti-war campaign to, to, to talk about this issue, uh, especially uh, I think there is no covering uh, international media or everything about what's going on in Yemen now. And we as uh, part of people in Sudan involving now in this by soldiers they are fighting there. And in the same times also they, they somehow using this card also that military don't need to give up. It is a power because they're afraid that they, they, they somehow they will not be more working together with Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia putting also uh, really... Um, its own forces to stop this uh, civil government to come to Sudan because of this. Thank you, I will stop there. Excellent, thank you so much. Um, so we have time where we're gonna try to take uh, maybe three more questions from uh, folks from the internet, um, and then that will conclude our time uh, today. Uh, so the first question from Elia is specifically to Selma. And so asking Selma, if you could elaborate a little more on the family code that you mentioned and what, what that is and its significance. Yeah, uh, sorry, I'm unmuting. 
uh, well, the family code has been uh, settled in the 80s. Uh, I don't have all the details, but it has created a, sta a status of women as uh, minor for life, which means that uh, to, for example, for anything she would like to, to do, she has to get the improvement of a tutor, of a male tutor, which means that it could be her brother or her father if she's not married, or her uncle if she doesn't have a father. Or even when she's a mother, it could be her son because she can't date. She's not allowed to take decisions by herself. And one of the, I mean, the shocking matches I remember is, for example, if she wants to, women wanted to travel, they need to get the authorization of the father, the paternal authorization is uh, needed to, 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 to go somewhere with the children. And uh, until recently, I think 2014, it has been removed under feminist pressure. Uh, the other element is also um, heritage, which is inspired by the so-called Islamic law, which means that they get only a third of the heritage. Uh, the fact that uh, Tunisian women gain uh, over over that matter also inspired the Algerian women to, to, to do so. So those are the elements. Uh, the other element is also the divorce. Like for women to get a divorce is very, very uh, complicated and almost an impossible issue. Uh, back in the years, I, I remember that the family code also allowed women uh, to be removed from schools when they were young, like from six, seven, or eight years old, I, I, I barely remember. So they, the, the, the family could remove her for schools for uh, domestic purposes, for, which has been also removed uh, years ago on the campaigning and massive, uh, massive feminist movement. So those are the few elements that, that, that is the family code. And it was seen as a big, I would say, uh, betrayal from uh, the revolutionary principles of the Algerian independent movement, which relied a lot on women. And so they've been stabbed on the back uh, in this early 80s. But maybe Hamza, if you know a bit better than me about the family code, you can also develop. No, 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 I think you covered that very well. Great, thanks. Um, so our next question is from Miriam A. And the question is, um, how have there been responses from other places that since the uprisings regionally in 2010-2011 have had transformative leaps themselves? And um, the question asker specifically indicates the uprising in the Reef region of Morocco in 2016. So have there been other places that have had red responses and other regional responses to the Algerian uh, and Sudanese current uprisings? Um, who would like to take a stab at that? question. Brian, I didn't understand the question. Yeah, the question was um, basically, have there been responses from other places in the region uh, to uh, the current uprisings in Algeria and Sudan? Like, what have those responses been like? And then the, the question asker specifically refers to Morocco, but I think that you could talk about uh, whatever. I could, yeah, I could um, maybe be, be brief. Um, okay. From regional um, responses to, to the Algerian uprisings, and I think some of them have been seen actually from Morocco. And I've, um, I've listened and I watched some uh, chants by 
football fans in stadiums in Morocco, like making references directly to the Algerian revolution. So these, these are revolutions, they go beyond borders and they inspire people. And somehow people get into, into dialogue. Um, and the same thing happened actually when the Reef uprising was taking place in, in Morocco. Algerians were, were following a lot and they, they showed some kind of solidarity, even, even if it wasn't social media. Maybe Selma can add to this. Thanks. Sarah, did you want to add anything to that from the Sudanese context? Um, I can't, yeah, I, I, I can't speak about Morocco specifically. For us, of course, um, of major importance are neighbors, um, like direct neighbors. So I would say, um, for example, uh, we have on our borders, we have Libya, we have Egypt, we have Eritrea, we have Ethiopia. Um, and of course, most importantly, we have South Sudan, which um, um, gained its independence in 2011 from Sudan. And this is one of the very sore topics actually for people in the north because um, one of the things that the regime is accused of is, is, is also um, leading to the split of the country. Um, and um, I, I think uh, regionally, I would say, you know, Ethiopia is going through a very, uh, not, not, not an uprising, but a kind of opening up of it. It's political space, a kind of reform process. And so I think they're watching very carefully what is happening. Um, when it comes from Egypt, you get different responses from different countries. Egypt has a very, very complicated uh, relationship with, uh, with Sudan. It sees uh, the, the, the regime sees its uh, sort of successive Egyptian regimes have seen Sudan as sort of the backyard of Egypt. It's also strategically important in terms of the Nile waters and for other reasons. Um, um, and the CC uh, government is very much, I would say, uh, I would venture to say, very much invested in the failure of this uprising. Um, it does not want to see a country on its border um, sort of succeed in what uh, they managed to suppress uh, through a counter-revolution in Egypt. They also are very, uh, military regimes like to do business with other military regimes. I think that's an important point to make. And so uh, Egypt is also allied with Saudi Arabia and so forth. So I think their role uh, as a regime has been very negative. But I think we have had a, a lot of support from um, Egyptian revolutionaries and from people who on the left in Egypt who are very much looking to Sudan and very much supporting what is happening there. Um, and um, I, I think in, in terms of South Sudan, it is also not in the interest of the regime there for um, there to be a, a revolution in Sudan that succeeds and for an end to the military regime there and for war. They've had an up and down relationship with the government in Khartoum, but their uh, governance style is very similar to the Bashir regime. So um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very mixed depending at what level you're speaking about, by and large most of the authoritarian regimes in the region um, very much want to see this uh, this revolution fail. But I think on the grassroots level, there is a, a lot of support and a lot of hope. Um, I think we need more concrete, uh, concrete interventions, more concrete support and links to be forged between um, us and, and, and regional countries. But Brian, can I add something to that? Sure, go ahead. Uh, because I, I was talking mainly about the reaction of um, of the people rather than the official reactions. So when we go to to the Moroccan monarchy, um, so just to talk about it regionally, uh, the forces of the counter revolutions, including you know the, the, the dictatorships and the absolute monarchies in in the, in the region, are definitely hostile. 
um, to both uprisings in Sudan and Algeria, and they want them to fail, as, as Sarah mentioned. Um, Saudi Arabia and the Emirates um, uh, do not only have influence in Sudan, but they do have influence in Algeria too. Um, uh, in fact, um, the head of the high military command in Algeria, Gaid Salah, is very close to the Emiratis. And clearly the Emiratis are interfering. I've heard just a few days ago that Saudi Arabia and Emirates are pumping a lot of multi-million investments um, in Algeria. And clearly these are, you know, counter-revolutionary interferences um, because the success, um, hopefully, of the Algerian or the Sudanese revolution will be, will be, will be a danger to them. And at the same time, co coincidentally, in, in Libya, at the same time these two uprisings are happening, uh, General Haftar, uh, you know, launched his military strikes on, on Tripoli. And I'm not sure if it is a coincidence. So that's why um, I, I always emphasize that we cannot be naive about, you know, the regional counter-revolutionary forces and even the role of the Western powers in this. France, even if it's saying we, don't, we do not interfere, there are things that are happening, you know, in the back door. Um, and we need to be aware of these things. Great. And then Selma, you um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, maybe the relationship to 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 the to, to the neighbors. Uh, just to complete what said what what was just said before, is that first um, uh, the Tunisian people, when they saw uh, the the Algerian rising, started to stage demonstration also in Tunis, in uh, in solidarity, and it has raised also fears. Even the current president uh, Beji Haid Sibsi, who's very old, who the, the, uh, publicly said that he won't. Uh, Present itself as the next president again, uh, out of uh, out of fear. So you have this kind of relationships that exist. Uh, also, uh, uh, I talked about the the question of the Amazigh identity, and I think it's it, it can play a key role into broadening uh, the, the the solidarity beyond uh, the the I would say the the tensions uh, between between especially Morocco and uh, and Algeria. Uh, the Reef movement also has raised up uh, its Amazigh identity, and it's hard not to when you when you say you are Amazigh not to relate to the Hilak movement in Morocco. And I think the left has also a responsibility. Uh, maybe I'm not well informed, but uh, Nasser Zefzefi has sent a letter in solidarity with the Algerian movement, but I haven't heard any. I don't know, or it's been very marginal or very secondary, but the left that didn't say anything about it. And I think it is very important also for the, the Algerian left to, to assert its transnational identity as Amazir and come in support to the current repression our Moroccan fellows are, are having. And we need to relate to, 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 to the history of our solidarity. Algeria couldn't gain any independence without the help of the neighboring countries, uh, without the help of the reef fighters, uh, the Algeria couldn't be an independent state. So today there is also um, a legacy of this that should be continued and should be re relinked in some sense, despite the, the nationalistic divisions. And on that point, I will hardly insist 
the left has the left in Algeria has to say something about what's happening in Morocco and support to the current movement. Excellent, thank you. So we have time for one more question, I think. Um, and so the last question is from Oakland, and it just asks if um, the listeners could hear more about the economic questions and how they're being raised on the ground. Um, so maybe I'll see if Adam wants to go first, as you haven't spoken yet on one of these questions. Do you want to take this question up? How are the economic questions being raised on the ground? Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, the economical question, I think, is all the time is part of this revolution, especially in Sudan. I also, I hear also is part of the uh, what's going on in Algeria also because uh, uh, we have this long um, revolutions in Sudan since uh, 30, 30 years. Was when this government comes to power, we say, but also some people consider that this uh, this cost of uh, of of the of the bread is was uh, really uh, being uh, high enough that people also. Uh, somehow come to street because they don't have enough to eat or something like this. Also, there is this, uh, as um, Sarah also said before, this is split of Sudan to, to north and, 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 and south. Uh, it's also costing Sudan uh, so much uh, in this topic of economical, where it's all petrol and oil is uh, is gone with 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 a, with a new country, uh, South Sudan. Uh, that's why I think it is this, this um, part of it is like uh, economical issues. It was all the time topic until now, uh, but it's uh, then it's also of, also as I mentioned before also about labor market where where this is uh, alternative uh, labor market union. Uh, Sudanese Privacy Association (SPA) has a part of. Uh, of, of organizing the whole this uh, so on so they talking about the minimum wage and so then in in, in different perspective is all the time this is uh, economical uh, question was was there all the time and it's still going on especially when we talk also about all uh, this new idea about how to build Sudan uh, what how we need to build Sudan it's also there's some discussion that's going on now since long time how people need to build Sudan and if, in which, which way they need to build Sudan, um, then we can also see it is playing big roles. Uh, yeah. Thank Thanks. you. Sarah, did you want to add anything to that? And then we'll go over to see if someone from Algeria. Uh, yeah, I think Adam really covered um, it very well. I, I mean, uh, the, main, uh, the main issue I think is with the, the sort of the, the regime destroyed sort of our, the, the, the sort of traditional backbone of the Sudanese economy, which was agriculture and sort of the industries around agriculture. And uh, it focused and put all of its energy into oil. Oil, of course, is a lot easier to lose, right? It's, a, it's much, much easier to, to sort of control and to capture um, by, the, by the regime. And so uh, the strategy backfired um, when the South Sudanese opted to, uh, to uh, declare independence. And with them went 70% of the oil deposits. There is still an economic relationship there because the oil has to go through the north in order to reach the Red Sea and and sort of be exported or extracted, whichever way you uh, you want to put it. Um, so uh, a lot of what's uh, part of this declaration for freedom and change is the economic issue is uh, the war issue is the number one priority to to work to end the wars. And uh, of course, that is partly linked to working to uh, build a more equitable economic system, a more redistributive economic system. I think there is a war. There are two voices in the revolution. There's a kind of neoliberalized voice, which is about technocracy and about, you know, if everyone just does their job, things would work. 
I think as leftists, we say that that's not enough. We have to redistribute wealth. It's not just about managing things well and ending corruption. And I think that is the other voice that has to be really pushed and promoted. And um, and uh, I think you you know in, in regards to the early question about Marx, I mean people don't talk about Marx in Sudan, but they do. There are ideas that are very powerful, which is that. There are certain sectors like education and like health that have to be public sectors and have to be free and accessible to all. And that is not a controversial idea in the Sudanese uprising. What is controversial is how to manage the economy, particularly in terms of its export sector, and how this wealth is going to be redistributed. Thank you so much. Uh, Selma or Hamza, did you want to speak about the Algerian context? Selma? Uh, yeah, I can start actually. Um, well, the economic demands are not very different from the Sudanese uh, Sudanese uh, people. It's all about there is a high, there are higher prices. There is a pay, inflation. Inflation has rocketed those those recent years, so it has impacted also uh, the, the the way uh, Algerians see see the current regime. So. Uh, still, there are no, there are not common slogans, etc. I don't see that much uh, on the streets. Uh, slogans are based on economic issue, uh, like on concrete economic issue. Despite uh, the strikes uh, calling for uh, better pay uh, for people, for, for, for also movements from people who are unemployed are very important. But uh, I think also if you speak. At, in my opinion, if you speak individually to each Algerian, he can be very, very sharp into economic uh, critique on the way uh, the the uh, on the way uh, money has been, I would say, stolen by by by, by the by the I would say by the army, etc. What is not clear is also the relationship to the bosses. There are so many debates, but the fact that there is a debate also shows that people are very much aware of the current uh, current situation. So these are I would say like roughly the, the, the elements, but yes the demands can be I think I, I feel hopeful about the fact that we can go just beyond uh, uh, rights or just you know, on the abstract matter, and talk about uh, concrete change about uh, the control of prices to have uh, proper. Oh, there's a dog. I'm sorry. Uh, suburbs. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, so that 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 can be. I think when you yeah, when you discuss individually, you have those kind of very concrete demands that need it to be a bit more. I would say present on the general sphere. Just to finish up, I think one of the the, 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 the most sensitive elements on the economic matter is the lack of future for the youth. And the fact that the country is pushing people to, to migrate and risk their life in the Mediterranean Sea. And so the migration issue is very important because millions and millions of young Algerians have left out of misery. And this is a clear economic matter. So the movement today, also the movement's purposes today, means that we need to bring back hope to the youth, and you, we, we we need to bring them uh, economic, uh, I would say, economic, um, economic rights, concrete rights, uh, also among uh, disabled people and the unemployed who could be tempted to to risk their life uh, crossing the 
the Mediterranean Sea. Great, thank you so much. Hamza, did you want to add anything for a few minutes? Yes, so just just actually to emphasize what Selma was saying, because you know the econo economic question has been at the heart of the current uprising. Um, because since 2016, with, um, with the decrease of the oil prices, there was a climate of economic austerity that, that led to popularization and employment and the worsening of workers and you know, the popularized masses um, conditions. Um, and, and you can see the kind of the mobilization, the workers, and the popular classes, and even, and even the students. But as, as Selma was saying, I don't think it's been addressed enough. And, and in that sense, um, I envy um, my Sudanese comrades because they have a kind of coalitions and structures in the place that are bringing those issues in, you know, in the open to discuss them at least. Even if lefty ideas are not the dominant ones, at least you discuss them. Because at the same time, that this uprising is happening, you know, multinationals are doing, are continuing to, their, to, do, to do their business. And actually there is something happening with Total now, acquiring um, a concession left by another American company, Anadarko. And there are things that are happening. So without, you know, economic justice, without proper sovereignty on natural resources, I don't think a revolution can succeed. So. I hope, I hope that these questions would be addressed very soon. Otherwise, um, you know, the liberal forces would, would take the argument. Excellent. And so with that, that brings us to the end of our event. And so firstly, Frida and I want to thank our panelists for spending your time and sharing your insightful viewpoints with us. I think that I've learned a lot and I'm sure all our viewers have as well. Uh, just want to thank the folks who are watching uh, on YouTube and Facebook and for folks to use this video as a tool and share it around more and really to take heed of the suggestions of solidarity that our panelists put out to spread good information, to pass union resolutions, to build an anti-war movement, to speak to the youth, and to continue to look to find ways to exchange lessons and strategies, which hopefully this has been a contribution to. Um, and then lastly, want to give a special uh, shout out to um, Shireen Akram-Boshar, Isabel Barter, and Elia El-Kazan, who really did a lot of work to make this possible. And um, with that, um, we will uh, look to the Facebook page and the YouTube. We'll post information about how to contact us. Hopefully, this will be the beginning of more uh, things like this to share lessons. And we will see you in the streets, comrades. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Bye-bye.